The books and articles on environmental hope and optimism still seem rather few and far between. Too far and few, in fact, for me to actually feel hopeful on a daily basis. That's why I looked for ways to actually find a lasting sense of hope and even optimism, despite the dire environmental circumstances that we find ourselves in. And the research is pretty clear. We can find hope and even optimism. But before we get into it, I want to remind you that I am on a mission to help professional women who are deeply concerned about environmental and social issues, who want to find ways to take action that lights them up so that they can create meaningful change in the world. If that sounds like you, head over to my website. It is christinahunterflourishing.com. That's Christina with a K. And hit the Let's Chat button to set up a call with me. Okay, let's dive in. I am Christina Hunter, and you are listening to the Live Well Green podcast, all about empowering you to create a more sustainable, equitable world. I taught environmental sustainability at the post-secondary level for 20 years, and yet I still felt that I was not doing enough. So I stepped back and began to focus on the big picture in order to find the key activities that actually make a difference and how to accomplish them without burning yourself out. Here, I guide you through the nuances of sustainable well-being so that you can lead the change that you want to see in the world. And we can truly flourish. Sure, there are articles and books on finding environmental hope. They tend to be filled with stories of recovery of at-risk species or protection of habitat. But unfortunately, my brain, like lots of ours, it just goes back to the doom and gloom. Of course, we do have a bias towards this, and it makes evolutionary sense if we do, so that we can protect ourselves from the negative outcomes that we see that could happen. But either way, it makes it difficult to hear the news and to see challenging situations with regard to environmental and social problems on a day-to-day basis. So what is the key to finding ways to see things more hopefully and to actually find hope and optimism amidst these realities? Well, it turns out there is one thing that can really help us, according to psychologists, and that is control. Great, right? Not so great. It turns out we don't actually have direct control over so many of these systems that we know need to actually change to affect the types of results that we want to see to have a more sustainable and equitable world. We don't have control over regulatory systems or our economic circumstances or certainly the geopolitical landscape. 
Besides, these are actually wicked problems, which I describe and talk about how to approach them back in episode 84. So you might want to dive into that one to see a little bit more on these complex, wicked problems that we are facing. So now that we feel that we don't have control, this can actually make our circumstances seem more dire, and it can seem more catastrophic to us. It turns out that we perceive risks for which we don't have control as being worse than those for which we do have control. For example, lots more people are afraid of flying than people are afraid of driving. Why is that? Well, for one, the difference is often that if something goes wrong on a flight, it could lead to a catastrophic outcome. And the other major difference there between flying and driving is our lack of control, assuming that most of us are not up there in the cockpit flying the plane, right? So that means we can have a greater sense of fear around the outcomes. So that's a little social quirk associated with our brains and when we don't have control, how it makes the risks seem even greater. So why is it that control is so important to us? I think it's something we've known for a long time. I mean, just think about incarceration. Really, that is taking away the basics of control basic fundamental things that we all do on a daily basis, like choosing when to eat, where to eat, where to go, who to associate with. That's all lost when a person is incarcerated with. So we know that control matters. This has been widely documented in psychology. In fact, the psychologist Martin Seligman discussed the phrase learned helplessness in some of his earlier work. But later on, he turned his work to optimism and happiness. And we'll get into that in a moment. So we know we need some degree of control to feel empowered, optimistic, and hopeful. But how? How do we get this level of control given the circumstances? Well, there are three basic approaches that have been shown to work. The first one is to simply break it down into small or even tiny components that you can control and can take action on. I've actually talked about this back in episode 63, which is called Small Acts for Big Wins. Finding the small things that we can control in order to affect change that is beyond the small action. But to feel in control, we need to apply that to the domain that we are concerned about. So wherever it is you're feeling stuck, sad, overwhelmed with respect to this environmental or social issue that bothers you most, we actually need to find some tiny thing that you can control in that domain. And that will help your brain to understand that there actually is hope because you were able to affect change in this area, even if it was in a very small way. It's funny, 
Because of course, we tend to discount our efforts, right? Oh, it's something small. It doesn't make a difference. And yet, there is this long-standing tradition in time travel movies and shows and stories that emphasize that going back in time and making one small change that will ultimately have a big influence in the, in quotes, timeline or in the course of history right? So we sometimes forget that we could perceive it differently, that small things really could have a bigger impact than we realize. And we often can think about that as having ripple effects, right? You never know if that turned out to be a tipping point, you know, that letter sent to an official or this industry change happening or your neighbor seeing what you're doing, etc. So it's important to feel that there is the implication of even small acts to have a bigger effect. And in addition to that, even if we're doing small things, but having an effect, we feel like we're part of something bigger. So at least we're on the right track. At least we're building towards the type of future that we want. So that's the first main approach is to break it down into something small or even tiny associated with the issues that we're most concerned about and taking charge of those and actually making a change. So that's one way to feel control. And the second way is actually to find control within our own minds. So understanding that we actually get to control the narrative in our mind. There's a really amazing quote from Viktor Frankl, who wrote Man's Search for Meaning. He, of course, is the Austrian neurologist and psychiatrist who survived the internment camps of the Holocaust and went on to write this book. But he said, everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way, end of quote. So what he talks about there is that everything can be stripped down, everything can be taken, and yet No one can take away the control of our own mind, of the narrative that we choose to speak about inside of ourselves. So I think that's really important. We can choose to find meaning and purpose in the struggle of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Yes, this can be difficult, absolutely, but there's been lots of work and people who have been looking at this for decades now. The renowned psychologist Albert Ellis, who was one of the forefathers of the widely used cognitive behavioral therapy techniques, he created the ABC method. So in this technique, we look at these circumstances through the lens of A, B, and C, where A is understanding that there is an adversity, some sort of circumstance we find ourselves in that is quite challenging whether that be, you know, an issue with your boss or in a relationship or with regards to the broader circumstances of climate change and feeling anxiety about it and grief and loss and sadness about your lack of ability to affect change there. So that would be the A, the adverse event. And B is then a belief that you have 
about that adverse event. So really trying to tease apart, well, what is it that you believe about this? Do you believe that your boss was curt with you because he doesn't like your latest report? Or (laughs) is it another belief associated with this? And then the C relates to the consequences of our belief about the adverse circumstance. Okay, so A, B, C, adversity, B is belief about the adverse event, and then C is the consequence of our belief. Now, this really challenges us to tease apart what is going on in our minds. What actually is the circumstance? What do I believe about it? And what are the consequences of my belief systems? So, for example, we've already had wildfires very early in the season here. And so I find that to be an adverse event. And associated with that, I've had some grief thinking that my summers will never be the same. They'll always be filled with smoke. And so that's my belief that this is the result of climate change and this is going to be happening every year and I won't have the same summers that I'm used to. And this makes me really feel sad and concerned about our future. So this allows me to recognize it. And the consequence of my belief about this are that I feel some hopelessness and some helplessness around it, and a belief that maybe it's something I don't have any influence over. So what's useful about the ABC pattern is that it allows us to see patterns in our thoughts. It allows us to dissect what's going on in our minds, and then we get to challenge those thoughts and we get to challenge, okay, is that actually the case? Is it actually something that is truly stable and unchanging? Well, no, we don't know for sure. You know, weather tends to go up and down and climate, even though, you know, we know we have an increasing temperature globally, it's still going up and down. And there's still the ability to control that, to influence it at some level. And actually, that there might be some ability for me to have some small level of control in terms of those outcomes. So, you know, on this vein, the psychologist Martin Seligman, in his classic 1990 book called Learned Optimism, he actually added to Ellis's ABC model, and he added a D and an E, which really gets to what I've been talking about here, is that In addition to understanding the ABC, the adversity, your belief around it, and the consequences of your beliefs, we get to add the D, which means that we should dispute this actively in our minds. Can we find evidence to the contrary of that belief? So, well, okay, maybe there is evidence for that, that it's not going to happen every year. It will simply become more frequent. And we've already actually had some relief with our wildfires due to some rain, and we've had some sunny days that are not actually smoky as a result. So we can find evidence to dispute that belief that it's all terrible and it's only going to get worse. And then Seligman also adds an E. So it becomes A, B, C, D, E. And with that E, we look for a new effect. Is there still a chance to make a change. As a result of disputing this, you know, belief that we had, can we find a new effect? And for me that would be that there is still opportunity to create change, to avert the extreme effects of climate change. 
So that would be an idea that we could introduce with this new model of thinking using the ABCDE, where we dispute and then we find new effects that could be possible as a result. So if we keep repeating this, he says that we can actually get into habitual optimism. We can train ourselves to become optimistic about situations through examining our thought patterns using this model of A, B, C, D, E. So I think that's a really useful thing for us to consider, not just looking at the what's behind our thoughts, the adverse situation, our beliefs around it, and the consequences, but also then challenging. Can we dispute that? Is there other evidence that we can bring to bear on it? And is there some sort of new effect as a result? All right. So that's the second way that we can find some control just within our own minds and how we think about circumstances. And then finally, what I'm going to put out there is another level of control, which is sometimes talked about as vicarious or secondary control. This could be in a circumstance where we really don't have any direct control ourselves, but we can align ourselves with someone who does have direct control. Now, my husband, AJ, who happens to have a master's in psychology, told me that this is definitely what he relied on to get him through the long hours of waiting while I was in surgery for cancer. And he allowed himself to simply put his trust in the surgeons who were operating on me to remove my cancer. This is a circumstance where someone else actually does have real control, and we can take comfort in that knowing if we align ourselves with that individual. We either assist them or we place our trust in them in order to feel some level of control, even though it's not directly in our hands, so to speak. So we can consider this on the environmental or social justice change of maybe we would work with an elected official who actually has control over the regulatory framework around this situation. Or we might be able to work with the board of a corporation that can affect the behavioral change within that organization. This is perhaps working with a group that has the, you know, boots on the ground for those campaigning for the protection of elephants in the wild, for example. So we could work with a group like that who's actually on the ground can affect change. So that would be this vicarious level of control. This is still active and engaged, even though we don't have direct control. And it's an important aspect to consider when those circumstances mean it's harder to have direct access. And it might be a point of pain for us to not have direct control. We can think about the secondary or vicarious control. So that's the answer to the one thing that you need to feel hopeful again. It is some level of control, either controlling some small thing that is related to the issue at hand, controlling your mindset using the ABCDE method, or vicarious control, aligning with others who do have control. All right, let me leave you with a quote from Christina Figueres of globaloptimism.com, who said, stubborn optimism is a deliberate mindset. Humanity has the capacity and ingenuity to address any challenge 
including the climate crisis. End of quote. That's all for now. If you are interested in exploring these issues further, please head on over to my website. It is Christina Hunter flourishing.com. That's Christina with a K. Hit the Let's Chat button if you are a professional woman and are deeply concerned about the climate change and the state of the world that we are leaving to future generations and want some guidance on the best steps to take. I would love to connect with you. While you are there, sign up for the Flourishing Fridays newsletter. It is your weekly guide to sustainable well-being and effective environmental action. I can't wait to talk to you again. Until then, live well green, my flourishing friends. Bye for now.